Welcome to Wisco Dice! I am your host, the Conzi with the most, and I am joined by this illustrious crew of fine gentlemen. Who do we have here today? Hey, Brian is here, also known as Stark Raving Man occasionally. Hello, it is Justin, the Meeple's champion. And I'm Matt, also known as Ghostwalker. All right, and this is episode 93 of the Wisco Dice Tabletop Gaming Podcast. Today is June 1st, 2022, and on today's episode, we will cover a review of Planet Unknown from Adam's Apple Games, an interview with Kevin from Strong Tower Gaming Convention. On our hobby corner, we will catch up on any miniature painting projects we have been working on. But first, Let's dive into what games we've been playing! Woo! <laughs> Woo! I'll try to match that energy level, man. The first game I want to talk about today is Golem. Golem is published by Cranio Creations, and it is from the same designers as Lorenzo Il Magnifico and Grand Austria Hotel. Playtime is listed as 90 to 120 minutes for one to four players. Uh, and I played this very recently with a couple of our friends from the Tales of the Cold North, uh, Swifty and Lindell, in fact. Um, so in Golem, players take the role of a rabbi who pursues scholarly knowledge, makes powerful artifacts, and creates golems and instructs students on how to control them. Golem is a complex hero game. There are a ton of choices you can make each turn. And when we played, it felt like each of our decisions carried a lot of weight. Uh, two of your three actions each turn are taken by selecting these colored marbles from a tray where each row of the tray corresponds to a specific set of actions, like one row is creating and upgrading golems, or another row is like you collect gold and make artifacts. Um, and the marbles are rolled into the tray from a kind of a dice tower. And then however many marbles end up in a given row determines how strong that actions is. So as players take those marbles to take their actions, that particular action gets weaker. So something that you might want to do suddenly starts getting weaker and weaker as, as turns go by. The, your choice of these marbles to take those actions also affects a, a number of other things in the game, including which of your students uh, advances on their tracks and basically is therefore better at controlling these golems that you'll end up making. Golems in the game are uh, kind of a double-edged sword. They can access these very powerful actions as they advance along one of the four neighborhood tracks where you have students advancing as well. But if your students aren't skilled enough to control them, if they kind of aren't in the close to or the same position as the golem on these uh, neighborhood tracks, uh, you'll have to spend your valuable knowledge tokens to control them, or ultimately, if you can't, lose a bunch of victory points. Uh, thankfully, though, uh, the game lets you alternatively just kill off your golems and gain a small bonus of resources when they get out of hand. To win in golem, you have to upgrade your library of books and your knowledge. You also uh, have to uh, upgrade your golems and artifacts as much as possible and attempt to meet some secret personal objectives. Uh, when I played, it felt to me that the game encouraged specialization in one of those areas, but really 
you had to do a bit of everything to get the most out of your turns. I really enjoyed Golem, uh, and I think Jason and Sean, uh, or Linda and Swifty, enjoyed it as well. And it, I think it's definitely worth checking out if you are a Eurogame fan. Yeah, I was, saw the setup, because uh, I was there the uh, playing uh, the next game, uh, I think on the same day that you were playing this. Yeah. And yep. the box art is really cool, but it's really dark and... Uh, I don't know if they were trying to... It, oh, it's almost a black and white, and I feel like the aesthetic of the whole game is a little bit that way. Like, it's where it's, it, 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 it seems a little darker, and and I don't know if it... It just... It does not feel to me like that game has, like, this exciting table presence or this <laughs> theme, uh, but it sounded like you guys had a ton of fun playing it, uh, like it sounds like it was a great mechanically uh, oh, yeah. game, but I'm not sure if thematically this is a game that I would just jump all over. You are, I think you, I think you nailed it. The theme is not super strong in this game. The the kind of golem rampaging through the neighborhood as your student tries to catch up with it, you try to control it. That kind of works, but it is definitely a mechanical, like mechanics heavy. That's where the fun of this game is. Yeah, I, you, just from a first play, it's definitely not for. Not real heavy on theme, for sure. I, I will say Lorenzo and Grand Austria were also like, yes, there's <laughs> a theme there, but yeah. the themes to those games are definitely uh, not games that make me want to rush out and buy them. I, I think I, Grand Austria was okay. It was a decent game. Um, it didn't blow me away. Lorenzo was a lot Lorenzo more fun. Great, yeah. I mean, Lorenzo. Lorenzo, um, so I think. Great. Yeah. I actually own Lorenzo, so. You know, it says something. Uh, I haven't played it that much, but it's it's one of those games that kind of hides back on the shelf uh, because yeah. the theme doesn't jump out enough here. That the theme doesn't like, oh hey, what I want to grab? Oh, I could grab a Star Wars game, or I could grab, <laughs> you know, this great game about birds and or this great game about making a zoo or whatever that you know, terraforming a planet, whatever you might grab. Or then you could grab this game with this dark golem face on it that's black and kind of hides <laughs> it's like i don't really want to play be playing i'm hiding back here and i'm being a secret but it sounded like like i said you guys had all had a blast yeah it, it i mean and maybe that's the type of gamers we are the mechanics were just great like yeah uh, worth playing at least you know and it had yeah. marbles like yeah, yeah, these marbles. How would have thought really cool. this game, this like dark game, evil looking thing, it's got marbles in it that are yeah. all bright colored. Yeah, very much like a uh, potion explosion, kind of is is how they what they reminded me of. Yeah, yeah, that, that looked cool, and that actually intrigued me. I was actually, I'm, I'm interested to play this one now that I saw that. Like the rest of it was like it just did not capture me, but then seeing it on the table, seeing the marbles. You know, hearing you guys after you played it talking, you know, be as excited as you were about it, and the fact that you guys want to get it back to the table again uh, definitely says something for the game. Yeah, that was Golem. All right, so we're talking about our next game, which is Arc Nova. This one has probably one of the hottest games out right now, uh, recently being released. I see it talked about everywhere. Uh, so we were fortunate enough that uh, uh, Suzanne and I were fortunate enough anyways that uh, BK from Misty Mountain Games 
reached out to us directly and sent us a little IM. Said, hey, I got the last copy in stock. No idea when we're going to get more copies. This, you know, this printing's done. So probably be midsummer by the time he's, you know, his feel at the time was it even midsummer by the time you'd be able to get your hands on a copy again by the next time the next printing comes out. So we picked up a copy. Of course, then I found out other people had copies, which was great. So I got to play it a whole lot. So Ark Nova is distributed in the U.S. by Capstone Games, and but it was originally um, published by uh, was it Fureland uh, Spiel? I think the uh, is the original publisher. Um, I probably butchered the name. Anyways, the, the gameplay is going to take uh, somewhere between two to four hours, which I'd lean more on the four hours part of that for your first few plays. I think Suzanne and I just played it as a two hour, and by the time we like got it all set up and figured out how to play it and got through it, the actual gameplay, I think we probably had about three, three and a half hours of gameplay that first time through, almost to the point that I'm like, oh my god, this game is way too long. As we've picked it up, uh, the, my our, my most recent play with three players was two and a half hours. So I think that's right right in the right ballpark. Expected to be a little bit longer game, but something you can, if everybody knows how to play, you can get it in easily on a game night. One to four players, uh, which is nice. Uh, I hear the solo play is really good, but I have not had an opportunity to play it solo. You mentioned Suzanne and I have played it. Uh, Justin, I know you've played it mm-hmm. as well, so that's good. Basically, in Ark Nova, you're going to take on building a zoo. Now, that theme might jump off and make you really excited. That theme might uh, make you go, uh, is this trying to be another fun-friendly game thing? But it's actually really fun, which I, I would say the theme for me here it did not necessarily capture me. I thought this was going to be, you know, maybe this is their, you know, just trying to be another popular gimmick game or something like that but what you find is you know, the, these activities of adding pens and animals and building partnerships with international zoos and uh, and all these other things that you're doing the course of the game is really well implemented into a game that has uh, a really good stack of different game mechanics from different things one of my favorite things that it's it does is it has a row of five action cards and these row works kind of like a river so there's positions one through five that are clearly marked on the board on your player board and you will say you can pick play a card that's in position three and then uh when you get done activating that card on your turn it'll go to the bottom in position one and everything slides up to fill the spot where it vacated you want to try to balance the timing of when you're taking these actions to get the best effect out of them, but sometimes you really need to take some of these actions before they're up full strength. So it's very interesting and dynamic in that way. It gives you a this really, really complex way to balance things as well as you're trying to balance, you know, what? hey, I could play this one animal and it's going to be really good for me, but I, if I wait for that animal card to get in position five, I could play two animals out of my hand. Of course, now I've got to figure out, okay, if I can wait two turns to get my that card into position five, where am I going how am I gonna generate the money or other get the other symbols or components or whatever I need to be able to play that other play that second play the second animal. So it's all it's it's a very interesting challenge to kind of balance all of those pieces. The game end 
is one of the most interesting mechanics, I think, of the game that I wanted to talk about. Uh, so the outside of the main game board, which is this long, thin board, kind of narrow board that goes in the center of the table, and it's got two scoring tracks around it. One track is for, it measures the appeal of your park. So basically, as you add animals, you will typically get rewarded with appeal because your park is more exciting, your zoo is more exciting. He has lions and tigers, oh my! But then on the other side of the track is a conservation track and that goes that basically goes backwards from the appeal track. And the concert conservation track uh, and your conservation marker are tracking things that you're doing to try to help uh, species maybe be stronger in the world, maybe you're trying to have uh, release certain a- types of animals back into the wild, or you're trying to gather enough predators or bears or some some other things, things that you're that would be uh, more beneficial for the planet and for those animals to exist in nature, right? Or to to be uh, you're you're worried about conservancy. So basically, these two tracks that one is you know, the appeal track is going one direction, the cons- the conservation track is going in the other direction. And when those when one player has their two markers meet or pass each other, that triggers the end of the game where all the other players get one final score, or one final score, one final play, and then you trigger in-game scoring and that's it. And the way scoring is then calculated is the difference in position from the appeal to the conservation marker. So you could, it's very possible that if you had, a, you could have a negative difference because you never, cro- they never cross paths. Or it's very possible that you could have a, you know, maybe a gap of five or 10 or 15 between those two markers and have a positive score to win the game. So I think that's really cool. It's really unique with the game. I have my own little complaints about the game too, but those are like the things that I think are pretty awesome about this game. Justin, you've played this before. What did you think was awesome about it? I will mirror what you said about the card track, the action card thing. That is a genius mechanic. Really satisfying. I really like building out the zoo space with the different tiles and sort of finding the best way to get those in your zoo and get the most out of them and just maximize your zoo space with the different shaped tiles. I very much like the sort of... Uh, I guess you would say animal specialization where you kind of get to a point where you're like, okay, I, I can get really like focused on a particular kind of species and, and keep using those to like get a bunch of points in different ways, even to the point where when I played, I was able to just kind of ignore some of the public objectives because I was finding other ways to get points with my like personal objective cards that were even better because of how I had specialized and stuff like that. So. I think everybody I played with pursued a little bit different strategy just because, you know, they see different cards, they try different stuff, focus on different things. And so it feels really open for strategy and different tactics each time you play, which I really like. It was long. I will say if I had a nitpick, it can be really long. So you got to be ready for that. Uh, I think it's generally worth it. But yeah, (laughs) game length is it's it's significant. I think I think the thing that and you touched on a little bit there is the the need to adapt your gameplay while you play the game because 
there are so many cards. Oh, yeah. So, like, you might want a strategy where, you know, you're starting cards, you're starting hand of cards and whatnot, kind of push you. Maybe you want to be reptile. You want to play a lot of reptiles. You want to play a lot of monkeys or or whatever the case might be, right? You might feel like that's your initial strategy, and then you might not see another reptile card for the next <laughs> hour of gameplay. So, because there's just such a huge stack of cards, and the way that you obtain and get more cards, uh, it doesn't always, I mean, you just might not see what you're looking for. So it's it's interesting, you kind of have to be able to adjust a little bit more on the fly as you're playing the game to try to work out the best with what you have to try to get to that best spot and score too. So uh, it's, it's, it's interesting that way as well. And, and definitely makes it so that I think going in, you, you, you might have it in mind that you want to play like, I'm going to try a monkey strategy today, but then never see a monkey card to be able to play that strategy. That's exactly what happened to me. I, I when I first played, I, I started with like one monkey card, and monkeys were one of the goals. And I was like, oh, and and it matched one of the countries, so it was like Americas. I I don't know what it was, but um, I was like, oh, I can do monkeys, and never, just I only ever got one, and then it was, <laughs> I was well, I'm not doing that <laughs> after you know a couple turns. But that's good. Yeah, I it, think that 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 you know, it makes you think more you know it's fun yeah just on the fly it's great so that's arc nova uh we will probably have some more full-blown reviews somewhere on the blog or on a future show so it's definitely definitely that exciting for us so Anyways, in the meantime, you can check out wiscodice.com for links to all of the games we just discussed, as well as some pictures of in-play game, gaming and interesting little extra details about these games right on our website. But with that, let's dive into our hobby corner. We're going to talk about our miniature hobby projects that we've been working on. Why don't we go ahead and get started? We haven't heard a lot from you, Brian. What is going on, you stark, raving, mad one? Yeah, I'm still here. Got to shift it to some miniatures because I haven't gotten a chance to play either of those games we just talked about yet. I'm sorry to say I felt like my hobby slowed down a bit for this session. It is obviously kind of springtime here, so there was lots of landscape projects and other stuff going on, but I still get get some work done. Um, I've been focusing most of my effort on Batman miniature game models from Night Models currently. Um, I was setting up to kind of get some different stuff on the table. I was looking to get uh, like the Bane crew from the Dark Knight Rises set um, as a kind of a transition to something different, but they can still play as leagues. So I was shooting to get those on the table and I was about to start them. And then I saw over on my shelf, I kind of forgot I still had the Goliath model from the Robin and Goliath pack. So I kind of got segued from my original intentions and I thought I'd finish Goliath first because he kind of goes with the most of the rest of the league that I have been doing so far. So happy to say I'm making pretty good progress. I'm kind of hoping I have like a goal of my own to maybe have them done and be able to put them on the table uh, for the next Batman nature game night at Noble Knight. And I think, what is that? Probably next week, I guess. So we'll see if I make it or not. Or maybe it's actually two weeks. With how the yeah, second two weeks goes. Yeah, so I should have no problem doing it then. But that's what I've been working on. Um, how about you, Ben? I think you've also knocked out some 
Batman miniature. Yep, I have. So, and I, God, I remember finishing up Goliath. Goliath was definitely an airbrush-friendly model for me. So yeah, lots uh, of red. <laughs> it took yeah. a long time. Well, yep. that's most of the thing I've done. So I'm just getting on to the rest of the details now. Finally. Yep, he was like a black undercoat followed up with an airbrush of red with a little bit mm-hmm. more red and a few spots. Touch it up with a little white, white, real, real, real light white uh you know from the airbrush and then i was like okay Mm -hmm. now i just give him a quick wash and paint the details and done (laughs) Mm -hmm. easy model but he's a pretty cool model i like that he's so big compared to a lot of the other ones i've been doing he's quite a lot bigger than all the man size models in the game so that was kind of different a lot of area to cover but it was kind of a unique paint yep cool model so I painted everyone's favorite, the Calendar Man, uh, and then I have been working on a couple of Street Demons gangers uh, for the Penguin crew. Um, they're about three quarters done right now. They'll probably be finished up by the time we record again. Maybe I'll actually have the whole Penguin Bat Box done by um, by that time. I just have the one model remaining that has that hasn't been touched out of that bad box, so that'll be exciting. Woo! Um, so yeah, no. Um, Calendar Man is a a very bright red and white model. Um, so much freehanding of numbers oh, on that model. <laughs> over and over and over, and it's like all in just random random number, you know, numbers for the calendar from one to thirty-one. You're freehanding everywhere. Um, so there was a lot of, a lot of that, but I, th- I was pretty happy with the way he turned out. I think, uh, I think overall it's one of my, one of my happier, uh, uh, paint jobs that I've done and, and nice, again, nice to be able to hobby once again, after having, you know, the, the months off with the move. So that was awesome. So hopefully some more BMG for next month, but Matt, what are you working on? Uh, actually, uh, I haven't, I'm sure most people are probably aware by this point, I haven't been super motivated to paint lately, but, uh, inspired by, um, we have had several, we've had a friend, uh, who recently got a, a good, you know, a brand new gaming table, um, Conzi and Suzanne are, look like they've got one on the way. Uh, I've been, I, I actually do a lot of woodworking, you know, off and on, and, uh, I have a good bit of tools at home so i've actually been spending a lot of time in the last month kind of drawing and coming up with a set of plans for uh, what i'm gonna do with my wife so we're gonna talk about working on a gaming table together and uh, see what we can do so uh, that's kind of where i've been spending my time so we're gonna see what we can do we've been inspired by all the different things we see and taking a lot of ideas from other vendors tables and We'll see how it comes out. I think it's going to be a labor of love that's going to take a few months to to get done. Well, I'd say if you order one of these tables, uh, you're, it's going to be probably a few months before you get it. So whether you make your own or you actually order one, I think the table you're talking about is Jason's, who plays Lindell, uh, and he got the Dresden board game table from Bandpass Design. It's a brilliant, beautiful table. So if you're in the market and have a large budget <laughs> to purchase an amazing game table, I would definitely recommend you take a look at that table. And stay tuned to wiscodice.com because we will have a review of that table as well as ultimately 
hopefully, assuming Matt completes his project, some tips about maybe what you can do to build your own, yep. as well as what that project will look like when it's finished. And of course, make sure you check out whiskodice.com for pics of all of our projects that we have up. Uh, you'll see uh, the uh, pictures of the BMG models that Brian and I have been working on and there. And uh, of course, pictures will tell a thousand words about how those how awesome those projects are that we've been working on. But with that, we're going to go ahead and take a break and we'll dive into our interview when we come back with Kevin from Strong uh, from the Strong Tower Gaming Convention, if I could say the whole thing. All <laughs> right, let's take a break. Hey folks, this is the Cones of the Most. I just wanted to take a moment to tell you about Misty Mountain Games here in Madison, Wisconsin where you can find CCGs, RPGs, board games, minis, paint and hobby supplies for your all of your tabletop gaming experience and needs. If you can't find it online, give them a phone call or swing on by their brick-and-mortar store uh, here on the east side of Madison. Don't worry, that is MistyMountainGames.com. Check them out today. And we're back. Matt and I have been joined by Kevin, who is part of this Strong Tower Gamers convention and organization. Kevin, pleasure to have you on the show. It's great to be here. Thanks, Conzie. And how, Matt? How you doing? <laughs> doing well today. So looking forward to hearing what you have to say. So, Kevin, I'm really curious. If you wouldn't mind just giving us a quick heads up, who are you and and what made you think starting a convention or <laughs> and getting involved with charity organizations and all of all of that hoopla that goes around that? What what inspired all of that? <laughs> and and tell us, like I said, tell us a little bit about yourself as well. Sure, my name's Kevin Hicks. I have actually been hosting a lot of game nights at my church for many years and. I've heard rumors of other people doing the same thing, and um, I think it was two years ago, 2020, when Aaron DeMaster approached me and several others uh, about the possibility of teaming up and creating an organization to kind of link these groups together, and uh, we thought it'd be a good idea to just create kind of a, a community, like an outreach community for gamers who've been maybe alienated, ignored, or even uh, demonized by the church. And I, I'm sure you've heard of like this satanic panic with, that was involved with the Dungeons and Dragons. Um, so, you know, that's the kind of thing that we're trying to, I guess, combat and, you know, just provide a safe environment where everybody can feel welcome and, you know, build relationships and just have fun enjoying our wonderful hobby of playing games. That sounds awesome, and and you know it's great to to hear someone tra- championing gaming in any community. But uh, what you're doing sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. So so what made you even consider hosting a? You know, I, I like the concept of the the group. So what made you guys consider hosting a convention? Yeah. So it's you know since we have smaller groups that meet kind of throughout. Right now we're just in southeastern uh, Wisconsin. Um, but we're we're kind of far apart, so we wanted a way to 
kind of get together and host like a larger convention. And we thought, you know, we're having a larger convention. We might as well raise money for charity while we're at it. So we funded a, or we started a 501c3 charity organization. Um, and so it's a hundred percent volunteer basis. Everybody, you know, gives, gives their time for free and it's actually a lot of work, believe it or not. And I'm sure, um, you can imagine how much work it is to start a convention. So we're actually going to be donating a hundred percent of our proceeds to a charity every year. This year we're donating to the Salvation Army of Wisconsin in upper Michigan. Um, so they, they actually have a lot of programs throughout the state to help uh, struggling and underprivileged members of, the, of uh, the local community. So we thought they'd be a great uh, first charity to uh, sponsor this year. Wow, that's, that's, that's a lot of dedication. I, <laughs> I mean, I know how much effort Ben and I have both hosted tournaments and stuff like that just for back in our Warhammer days. And Ben continues to host tournaments for you know, Batman and other things. And we know how much effort goes into setting up one of those. I, I mean, I can only imagine just on a volunteer basis how much work that must be to set up a whole convention with just volunteers. It is. And, you know, when you when you think about all the infrastru infrastructure that is involved in it and, you know, setting up a website, creating a Facebook page, creating like a marketing campaign, uh, that type of thing. And even just getting enough volunteers to, to run the various aspects of the convention. We, we've actually been meeting probably monthly for the last uh, almost two years now. Just to talk about the convention, and we're we're going to be meeting every two weeks coming coming up here, uh, starting in, well, I guess starting this month. Well, if it if it helps you any, uh, and notes a little good luck, uh, there there might have been a gentleman by the name of Alex Kammer of GameholeCon fame that uh, came on the show for the very first GameholeCon to announce and promote it on this show as well. So uh, that uh, <laughs> hopefully will be in a little feather of luck in your cap for uh, getting this one going. That's amazing. Yeah, GameholeCon is doing really well. I actually really enjoy that that convention myself. And I think that's actually where I met you, Ben. <laughs> yep. So, and, you were and I, this. Yeah, that was a great, that was a lot of fun. Lots of nemesis doom that was happening there. <laughs> so, yeah, no, and I've I've done charity events, charity uh, with the uh, uh, with tournaments, and I think tr just trying to organize three events or three simultaneous events with organizers and whatnot was like all I could do from a capacity perspective. <laughs> so, putting on a whole convention is is remarkable, and then doing it for charity is also um, pretty sweet, and and I'll, we love seeing that. Yeah, we've actually. Try, you know, we have have hosted a couple of smaller events just to kind of get our feet wet. So we had one in the fall, um, where it's in it was in West Bend uh, at a VFW. There, uh, one of our uh, the members of our Strong Tower Gamers group, he runs the the VFW there. So he was able to kind of get that place for free, and then we hosted a one day convention, you know, to to test out all of our systems and we actually hosted one again on may 14th um in west bend again just to kind of shore up our procedures and it you know it really helped a lot and 
we met a lot of great people there and we we raised the money for the the main convention as well so it was it was a nice time i gotta get back to the questions we've been way off script here for a little bit uh, <laughs> we, we keep this up we'll be talking for hours so that's so, good yeah that that's a really good thing um so maybe, maybe not for the audience but uh no, good for us not. anyways so. want to hear me that yeah. long uh, it'll definitely so, make it more natural <laughs> um, so we've been curious how 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 do you go about funding this convention how did how did you yeah because there's you know the scale i've got my head ramped around like the scale of getting a vfw hall but going to that <laughs> next level where maybe you're renting out a whole hotel or a convention or a smaller convention center that's a different scale of funds how did you pull that off it is and it it was a huge challenge that was something that we were you know struggling with at the beginning because we knew we wanted to host a convention but we really didn't have any money and we didn't want to put up a ton of our own money to do it um uh, even though we did but uh we decided to have a kickstarter campaign um that seems to be the way to go for funding you know board games so we thought we might as well hit the same target audience and see if they would help us launch our campaign uh so last october we started this kickstarter campaign and i actually admit i was completely against the idea because I, I knew it was going to be a ton of work and and you know i was heavily involved in creating the page and the content and um coming up with the uh all the the tiers for the rewards um and that type of thing and and i admit i was wrong i was dead wrong uh it funded on day one uh, which wow. was amazing um and then uh, so it the the funding level slowly crept up, you know, day after day. I kept checking as it's going up, and you know, we would sell like one or two, uh, you know, pledges, and then by the end, uh, we, we, you know, I was struggling to come up with some stretch goals because what's what's a Kickstarter campaign without stretch goals? Um, <laughs> so we we actually decided that if we reached five thousand dollars in funding, um, which at the time that we decided to do this we were well below five thousand uh so if we, we decided if we reached five thousand dollars of funding we would add a third day to the convention um and just within the last several days it just shot up and it, we, re, we raised over uh fifty six hundred dollars um so then we were we decided to extend it i mean our our hand was forced at that point uh, so, uh, we, we extended it to a third day. Well, that's great. So tell us about it. It's, so it's a convention. So what type of events are going to be there? What can, what can people expect at the convention? Um, it's going to have your typical scheduled events, uh, mostly board games, but we're going to have some miniatures as well. Um, we're going to have a board game library with plenty of open tables where you can you know, rent, check out a game from the library and play it yourself. Uh, we're also going to have play to win. So you can, you know, sign out a game, learn how to play it, and then hopefully win it <laughs> at the end of the convention. Because uh, someone who actually plays one of the play to win games will take it home. Um, we're going to have a, a math trade, a consignment sale, and I think a 
percentage of the proceeds for that is going to go towards the, the charity. We're going to give out daily door prizes. Uh, there's also going to be an amazing uh, charity raffle. I don't know if you guys have ever been to uh, Gaming Hoopla. Have you heard of that convention? Um, heard of it. I haven't been there. Yeah, it's amazing. It it started, I believe it started in Janesville, Wisconsin, and then it moved to Milwaukee area for a couple years, and now it's down in Chicagoland. I think it's in Mundelein, Illinois, if I'm not mistaken. But they do a great job. They have this huge charity raffle, and they, you know, they get donations from all over the place, and then at the end, give away these huge, you know, just huge lots of games. So we're attempting to do a similar thing like that because it's a ton of fun. We also have some special guests that are going to be joining us. Um, Kane Klenko. Um, you might have heard of him. He's done uh, Dead Men Tell No Tales and Pandemic Rapid Response, Fuse, Flip Ships, Space Invaders, Covert. Um, and then we also have uh, Randy and Ellen Kirby from We Game Together. Um, they're going to be host. They're actually part of the Strong Tower Gamers. They're on. They're uh, part of our group. Hmm. Um, they're they're going to be hosting a, a live broadcast uh, from the convention. Well, wow. so so you said one in there that really kind of caught my ear. Yeah, and, I, and I'm I'm like curious. So you said something about a math um, math trade. Math trade. So what in the yes. world is a math trade? A math trade is is essentially a way to take some of your games that you haven't been playing and uh, trade them with other people. So there's there's this whole uh, way of doing it on Board Game Geek. They ha- they have their own uh, tool for essentially, you know, you you say I want to trade these games away, and then once everyone's input, you know, when inputted all their games, then you say which other games you would take. For those games and then at the end there's an algorithm that goes through and kind of matches everybody up and then you hopefully will get some games back and then also trade away some games that, that you don't want anymore so yeah it's it's fairly complicated but it's actually really fun and uh the the gentleman that's hosting that um his name is john rose he's gonna he's been practicing it a few times at our mini conventions so he's a, he's got it down i think interesting nice. yeah and i i'd hate to skip this part but there's we're also planning on having some events for maybe some gamer adjacent uh people that are going to be there with their family members and maybe these are people that don't necessarily enjoy gaming Across the street, it's a, it's actually across the street from Brookfield Square Mall. Um, so there's a there's a Marcus movie theater there. There's a Whirly Ball place, uh, and there's tons of restaurants around, like Red Robin, mm-hmm. Blue, Blue Malnati's, Chick Fil A, those types of things. And it's all within walking distance. Nope, that's awesome. So. I'm sure some of the events and stuff that you thought thought about for for Strong Tower Gaming Convention uh, were inspired by some of your favorite events at other conventions. Could you tell us a little bit about you know maybe where those inspirations came into? Yeah, I mean, well, I I enjoyed playing Nemesis at Game Hall with you, so 
I mean, I, I enjoy those kind of games, uh, you know, lo- maybe longer games that you normally wouldn't be able to play at a regular game night. Um, I've recently played uh, Gaia Project for the first time, and that was a blast. Just this past weekend, I played Barrage. Uh, someone, you know, I was at a, a convention and someone just said, hey, do you want to play Barrage? And I'm like, okay. And it was amazing. I love that game. <laughs> but I personally like to host events as well um and i i tend to go towards like the giant versions of games um at at strong tower i'll be hosting giant flick em up giant takanoko uh giant rhino hero giant meeple circus and then i've got uh, 3d Catan. so uh, i just like to kind of you know make it giant <laughs> Well, you had me on all of those until you hit Catan, and then, well, I think it's a well-known, that's my, that's well, my well-known game, opinion so. on this show that uh, <laughs> me and that game do not get along. Oh, no. Which, which is hilarious, because the last time we actually got Conzi <laughs> to play it with us, he yeah. beat me. So um, I, I, I will be the one to say I play it probably more often than Conzi, but uh, not a game I dislike. I, I, I think it's a lot of fun, but... Uh, I, I'm like everybody, you you know, any, anybody, you, you get 10 gamers in a, in a room and you're going to get 10 different opinions on what's their favorite game and, and, and what are the things that they really love? So. Exactly. I, I think that's the one game that everyone these days knows what it is. So it's, it's kind of like if you're starting a new convention and you want new gamers to come, you have to have a Catan event. Yeah. It's um, a, it's a, it's a gateway drug. That's it is, call it, you know. So, <laughs> so like the giant sheep they have at Gen Con, totally, <laughs> totally is super cool. But yes, yeah. nobody would give me any sheep, so I sat for like an hour waiting for the dice to roll the right thing so I could get the tenth <laughs> point and win the game. <sighs> yeah, that so game can get long, but uh, yes. So, so tell us. So, when is the convention? How many days? What What's the timing look like? All right, so it's uh, September 16th through the 18th. So that's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, it's at the Brookfield Conference Center in Brookfield, Wisconsin, um, which I, I think I mentioned it, but it's a, it's a beautiful facility. It's only maybe three years old. Um, it's wonderful. It's got an attached hotel, um, which we have a hotel block. So if anyone's needing to stay there overnight, um, you can book a hotel there, hotel room. Um, and then I believe the, the vendor hall opens at 10 a.m. every day, um, and closes at six on Friday and Saturday, and then it closes at four on Sunday. So they got it built just in time for COVID. So that's right. Just in time for COVID. So it's almost a brand new facility because no one could use it. (laughs) So how does someone go about getting registered for this thing? Um, and furthermore, are you know you talked about like having pre-registered events that people can sign up for? How how does how did you know how do people get registered? And then how are they going to find those the details about events, vendors, all of that kind of stuff? Right. So the the starting place is to go to strongtowergamers.com. There's all the information is on that website. Uh, there's a big button right on the homepage that says register at tabletop.events. Uh, that's the website that we're using to run and schedule the events. And also you can purchase your badges there. 
Uh, a weekend badge is $60, and daily badges are $25 for Friday or Saturday, and then $20 for Sunday. And uh, the raffle is going to be Sunday afternoon, so you, you don't want to miss that. Um, and then registra event registration um, is currently open. And we're adding events all the time, so you can browse the catalog on, on tabletop.events and see what's still available. And if you actually want to run events, you can submit those as well. Um, and then as far as vendors, uh, we are going to have a vendor hall, as I mentioned. Um, currently, we have Bunhill Games is one of our vendors. Um, we've also got Jeremy Provost, who's a, an amazing artist. Um, and then Mana Oasis, um, which is a, a veteran um, support that like they kind of use board games as like therapy for veterans. Um, so we're very happy to have them. Um, and I believe we're going to have some other vendors as well, but those are to be revealed at a later date. Got to keep the surprises in the bag until uh, right. the right right times to market that stuff right exactly so on that note how would how would somebody stay informed because you guys are obviously evolving you're constantly getting new stuff going on so how would they stay informed on additional news and stuff like that on evolution in the conference yes uh so you could sign up for our newsletter if you go to strongtowergamers.com and go to the contact us page you can send us a message and sign up for our newsletter um, otherwise, uh, you can find us on Facebook, uh, Strong Tower Gamers, um, and I run that page, so I'm trying to keep that, you know, regularly updating and keep it interesting. So um, definitely check us out there. Awesome. So this is important too, I think, to the whole scheme of things. You got people who can stay informed. You got people know how to get badges. What if somebody wants to run an event or? wants to just volunteer and help out, maybe help with setup, tear down of the convention or whatnot. How, how does someone find out more information about that? Yes. So the on uh, strongtowergamers.com, there's also a place for volunteers to sign up. So if you go to the, the Strong Tower Gamers page, you can find uh, the volunteer link um, and just send us a message there just saying that you're willing to help us out and we'll, we'll be in contact with you. Um, and then also, you can uh, donate on our page as well. So <laughs> definitely strongtowergamers.com is the central place to go. Awesome. Is there anything else you'd want our audience to know? Something that you'd want to share about the convention? Something that just you haven't, you ha we haven't asked you about, but you're just super pumped about and want to talk about? Yeah, I'm just pumped in general about getting it off the ground. I think, you know, being a part of something the very first year is special. Um, I, I have no doubt that this is going to be a convention that continues to grow year after year. So getting in and the first year is going to be something that you'll remember forever. So uh, please consider attending, uh, donating, volunteering. Um, it's going to be a great time meeting new people and gaming for, for charity. Make sure that you hit up strongtowergamers.com for all the information about uh, the Strong Tower Gaming Convention. And uh, yeah, make sure that you let them know that Wisco Dice sent you. Uh, so with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Thank you so much, Kevin, for taking the time and telling us about this great convention. The best of luck to you uh, in getting things going. And uh, we're happy to have done our little part to help you uh, get in that right direction. Uh, 
in the meantime, we're going to go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, the rest of the show. And we're back. Dive into our review of Planet Unknown. All right. So Planet Unknown is a tile drafting game where you to play as a corporation looking to be the best at terraforming a planet. But you're not alone. You're competing with all the other people at the table to be the best at that terraforming. And those who do the best at it, or score the most points, wins. The game is played with this interesting lazy Susan that lives in the middle with where you draw your tiles from. You draft the tiles and fight against the elements such as meteors raining down and other things trying to wreck your day. Random events occur during the turn which can help you or hurt you depending on where you are. And you get points for elevating certain improvement tracks as well as things like completing rows and columns on your planet. There's asymmetric elements that are available to be integrated with the game as well. You could play with just the base corporations and planet, or you could play with unique factions and corporations and unique planets. This has a lot of replayability and challenges for the building of your planet. Justin, why don't you dive into your thoughts on the theme and immersion in this game? Right. So for me, I, you know, you're supposed to be, uh, terraforming this planet, which uh, sits in front of you as a, I don't know, maybe 14-inch almost card stock, this giant, beautiful, illustrated planet. Um, and then you place these polyomino tiles uh, onto a grid to, you know, terraform bits of the planet at a time. So I, I do get the feeling of kind of terraforming, colonizing as I'm changing the sort of barren rock of the planet into habitats or forests or something like that. But I think the puzzle element of that is stronger than the theme ultimately. Yeah. It had a, it, it had a lot of that like challenging feeling for me, like cartographer. I mean, the nice thing I mm -hmm. liked about it was the tiles, you know, but the thing that it was interesting and was a little different than cartographer, anybody who's familiar with cartographer, you basically have a choice of two tiles each time that you're trying to pick from. This was somebody picks their tile and then, you know, you get stuck with what's available. So, I mean, from a theme perspective, that was kind of neat because it's just kind of like, hey, that corporation got what they wanted, but now we've got to just this is what we have available to work with. So I really liked that puzzle element that you kind of brought up that you're like trying to solve what's the best piece to put down and what's going to get me points. And it, it does give you some random elements. Um, so I really liked that from a theme perspective, because you really do feel like you're building this planet up as you go across to try to figure out like, what's the best way to put this down. And, can I take advantage of this river or this natural water source and things like that? So there, there's a lot of those kind of elements where you, you, you're really seeing the terrain on the planet and trying to figure out how best to take advantage of it to earn you points, but also terraform it. So I really liked that aspect of it. Yeah. At one point you do get access to these little Rover tokens or miniatures that can kind of drive around and clear up meteorites and things that have fallen and, that I, yeah, I think that helps the theme too. Like I always envision that terraforming processes. Like yeah, there's also these little mechanical rovers going around the planet, like doing their thing. So yeah, that that adds to it a little bit. 
as well. Let's go ahead and talk about the components a bit. Worth noting that the version that we have all played is the deluxe edition of the game. So the components are going to be judged based on the deluxe edition. Uh, if uh, don't take it uh, for specifically for um, if you don't have the deluxe edition. That's that's the version we've played. That's just what we have to go off of. So that said, I think there's some really cool components with this game. And uh, Justin, I think you've got a lot of comments here about uh, components. <laughs> yeah, Why don't and, you go ahead and dive into that? Feel free to jump in. I mean, I... I... I think it, it they did a really good job with components overall. There are very high quality custom inserts for organizing the game. I think game trays, or they may actually be game trays, I forget, but very similar to that quality. They have plastic molded lids and molded uh, um, inserts uh, that pack everything up really nicely. The corporation boards that each player gets are nice, thick, two-layer cardboard that hold little markers for all of your resources and these uh, uh, inset spaces as tracks to track your resources. Very nice. The planet boards, like I said, are cardstock, not cardboard, but the art is great. And there are a ton of them, uh, especially in the deluxe version. Just tons of different planets that you could play this with. And one of them is like a black hole. I don't know. <laughs> there's, there's a bunch. Yeah, of that was ones. interesting. I mean, I will say too, uh, on that particular topic, is Justin mentioned earlier, the art was really well done. I mean, that was one of the things that was nice about the planets. I mean, I, I had one planet that had more of like an ice field kind of thing going on. And the planet had really nice art that showed you, oh, there's this underground, you know, frozen section. And, and it was kind of really neat. And then like, I think somebody else had like an almost barren planet and um, ben, I think you had one that was like a broken up set of three asteroids that were all kind of cloning together. That was, it was just really well done with the art. I thought so. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. art, art strong. Yeah, it's not the kidsy art either, or the like really mature art. It's a nice, just looks like cool sci-fi art. It's yeah, it's just it's totally like, like outer space cool planets and stuff so kind of all comers there <laughs> yeah in the deluxe version which ben and i both have that there are 3d components for some of the tokens for the rovers for the meteorites and then the um the pods which i forget what those are for <laughs> off the top of my head those are, are nice they're chunky plastic models they feel satisfying to play with the kind of wash finish that they attempted on them doesn't look super great i think something went wrong in the manufacturing or something there so it totally looks like a mistake to me like i think i that was like the first thing i asked about them like what was going on there because it seems like unintentional but then kind of like it doesn't look very good for their what they were going for or the explanation of what they were going for yeah, a miss on those in terms of the look for sure. All right, we got to talk about the lazy season. The centerpiece of this game is a lazy season 3D plastic molded container for all of these polyomino tiles, which you spin and align with each of the people playing the game, where the active player basically just rotates it to whatever they want to take the tile that they want that has what they're looking for the shape the the icons and then like matt said 
everybody else just gets whatever's left, whatever's pointing at them. So all the tiles in the game are just containing this thing. It spins around. I think you could see it as a gimmick, but I think it's awesome. Like I think it's a great way to handle being able to draft those t- those types of tiles. It pretty much was the reason I bought the game. <laughs> I saw this crazy, lazy Susan in a board game. I was like, yep, base, tiling, lazy Susan. That was sold. That sold me. It is a really good system for distributing the tiles, though. And then I think we mentioned it earlier, but even when you don't pick your tile from like your slot or whatever, you still get the option of two. So there's still a yeah. little bit of choice there, which is cool. Yeah, you'll always get a pick two. And it's interesting, too, because it really depends on you might look at it one round and go, oh, that's not a particularly appealing tile to me. And then somebody takes the one off the top, and the next round it's like, oh, now it's got you know, the things that I want to advance. So I want to get on that. So yeah, it's definitely, it's like you said, I, I don't know, Justin, like you said, it's, it's almost seems a little gimmicky, but it worked so well. It was just a really neat. Yeah, mechanic. And it's a, almost not a mechanic. I, well, I, I guess it is a mechanic, but it could have just been a containment system. Right. But it's also like how you pick the tiles that you get. And like, so I, I think it's cool. Minor, minor quibble for that, I think it kind of doesn't fit in the box quite right. Nope. That was that was one of the things I was going to note here on the components is that when you receive the deluxe edition, the box lid does not actually close all the way. After you get everything punched and put into the Lazy Susan, you would hope that it would be able to close all the way. Yep. That is not quite the case. Does only the deluxe edition mess that up? Like, they didn't account for the extra boards or something I like that or is it so. not fit either way i think if suzanne was here she'd be able to tell us i think she actually knows and but unfortunately she's not with us tonight so uh or was able to make the recording so unfortunately uh that answer is out there somewhere <laughs> on the interwebs <laughs> but uh let's let's get into the meat ben what let's talk about the gameplay a little bit Oh, I really enjoy the gameplay. When you get a game that has that can play as many players as this does, it can play up to six, right? A lot of times you end up with this situation of extended downtime between players. And what this game really excels at is keeping players engaged with what is effectively simultaneous activity. Uh, sure, there's a little bit of a pause as the whoever's the the active player is deciding where the Lazy Susan, which it's like supposed to be a space station or something like that. It's like space station or station Susan or something like that. <laughs> yeah, or something like that is what they call it in the rules. Um, when they're setting that position, okay, they're taking their time or whatever. There's a little bit of downtime there, so you can grab a sip of your beer or your soda or whatever your beverage you're going to drink or whatever while they're or or have a quick chat. But then you're like immediately, oh crap, I got to pick a tile again. Oh, where am I going to put this? Where am I going to Tetris this thing into the weird planet setup that I have here that it's going on? Like it's like that part is great, and I love staying engaged. Like that's the the worst thing when you have six people sit down at the table is. Have them have somebody have to sit there for 10, 15 minutes waiting for the turn to come back to them, which is uh, I love it. And so um, I also love the fact that this game is not, you know, it's it's 
it's relatively quick for a game that has as high a player count. Even with like a full six at the table, you can get a second play easily into a game night, which we did actually, uh, which is cool. So we could you know teach people the maybe with a, the basic planets, and then we could dive right into the okay, let's pick some weird corporation slash planet combos and see what happens kind of thing. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah, like, I had kind of, while following your comment on the, it does keep everybody going, there's little downtime. Like, I know when I initially started, like, you know, I can take longer turns, but I felt like a little more pressure when, like, everybody's waiting for you for their next move kind of thing. Um, so, like, earlier on when I didn't really have a handle of what I was doing, like, sometimes, it, like, there's just so many options spinning that, uh, whatever station season around. Um, like, I don't know, I kind of felt some pressure earlier that I was, like, holding everybody up kind of thing. But that's just kind of, like, a personal thing if you're thinking about it for a while. I know later on once I had a hand on things, like, I was pretty quick. So the game really did move fast, and as you said, it's really quick play for six people. I like that it was fairly easy to learn as well. The, one of the first times I played, I taught the game, and we played the full six, and I think at least three, maybe two or three people there were really not heavy uh, gamers. But everyone picked up on it pretty quickly. Weren't too many rules, hitches, or confusion, and enjoyed the game. So big player count is nice and i think most people get that idea of putting out tetris style tiles right like fill up the planet match tiles up to the to the same type of tiles to get more out of them that kind of thing an easy one to teach but i think there's still a lot of game there too i was just kind of realizing based off of that like the scoring isn't a mystery in the game. Like, all the hmm. points are right there on the, the tracker, and you have, like, your side goals or whatever, like, are all laid out. Like, it's all pretty clear what you're trying to do in placing your tiles. So, And even on the player board, like, you score the points for the rows. Like, when you have a full row, it tells you, like, what the points are right on the side of the thing. So your whatever point target is always there. So you don't have to remember certain rules of hmm. what is actually going to score from goofy combos and stuff like that probably helps the learning curve. I like that, and I like the fact that it doesn't have a score track that you're constantly mm-hmm. tallying the score on, where yeah. because there are games that that have score tracks, and you get to a point where you get to a, oh my goodness, I'm never going to get caught up feel, because the score is tallied, and it's, it, yes, you have the, everything that you're going to score is right there, but actually tallying or knowing exactly what your score is at any one time is actually a little bit of work, and you don't have enough mm-hmm. time to really do that or figure out where anybody else is scoring. So mm-hmm. there's a nice surprise element at the end of the game. Hey, I won, or hey, I did pretty good, or whatever with your score. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good call-out, though, because I'm one of those people that can get caught up on the <laughs> score track, but like you said, I didn't worry about it with this game. And I, you know, it, it's, it's, it's nice because you can't get the feel like you're way behind or, you know, cause that could be discouraging. And some people don't realize like, it really depends on the game. Some games there's a score track. And if you're 10 points behind by this point, you know, you're never going to catch up. 
and in other games, you don't realize that 80% of the score is at the end of the game. You know, this one is, you know, a little bit more open that way. So how did you guys feel about the um, objective cards where you basically had like you were sort of in competition with just one other person for some type of goal? I thought that was interesting. How did you feel about that? I thought it was a nice mechanic. So for the people who obviously don't own the game, there's a mechanic where you have one goal with one person on your right and one goal with one person on your left. And it's a competition with those two people to get whatever's supposedly happening on the score. I thought it was interesting because it drives you to do certain things with your planet because otherwise just points you're giving up. So instead of I just build my planet and I ignore the other five people or six people at the table for a period of time. I mean, it forces you to engage and kind of keep an eye on what's going on on their planet and be like, oh, I want to have the most river tiles or I want to have the most water or, oh, I want to have the most continuous this or individual pockets of that. And I thought it at least changes your mindset and forces you to just go. Because what are they like five points each? But and I know. People might go five points isn't a lot, but this is not a very high scoring game necessarily. So, you know, you can't really ignore 10 points. So it kind of forces you to stare at them. And and I don't know, I thought it at least gave you some way to have a competition with the people on your right and left without it, like, totally distracting from the game. Or you can have the oblique cones hate drafting me again. I mean... (laughs) It, I mean, if you're one of those people that's particularly, let's say, aggressive in a game, I mean, theoretically, I might say, oh, I'm going to pick that tile, but I know that I'm now sticking the guy next to me with a tile that, mm-hmm. that's not helpful to them, right? So, I mean, in theory, you could be strategic about how you position the board and say, oh, I know that person's not going to get this tile or, you know. That was never <laughs> happening at our table. At never. All. I never saw Ben. Oh, wait, I want to turn that again. <laughs> or hate drafted when somebody spun it my way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I liked the, uh, the, the thing I liked about those cards is that I only had to worry about beating like one person in one thing and not being the best at it compared to everybody. A lot of games, it's like you have to be the majority leader in some category. But this is just like, no, you, you just got to be better than one of these people. You don't got to worry about the other five people. So I, I appreciated that part of the mechanic, too. Yeah, I think it would take away from the game if you had to try to pay attention to, you know, if you're thinking about six people sitting at the table playing this all simultaneously, and you had to pay attention to, like, the person who was way opposite the table you know, on something that you feel like you're doing pretty good at, I think that would that would slow the game down. So yeah, it's very well implemented that it's only comparing against the people who you're seated right next to. Yeah, for sure. Like I think it added to your focus and like how you're picking tiles and you know, there's a limited number of tiles and types. So like if you know the whole table only had two goals or something, I think you'd very quickly run out of some of those tiles too. So that kind of makes sense for why it's only between, you know, the two people. Um, I do have a critique about it, though, and it will kind of come up later again, but just in the kind of the balance it adds. Like, I felt like, for sure, in our first game, um, like, those scores definitely matter. Like, if somebody scores both of them, like, that's a big jump in points, as you were saying, Matt, in the overall score. And, like, some of the combos, like, either with your corporate 
generation or just your planet, like can be really hard to pull off those goals if you're not watching them. Like if you just go for a random one, you might just be hosed. Like it won't synergize and it'll kind of clash with your board. So that's kind of my only one of my main critiques with the game and it comes yeah. into play with these um goal cards and then the different abilities and objectives are of you the talking about where you can get two goal cards that are completely opposite with of each other because i saw that too well yeah well that can happen but then like i don't i don't i haven't played the game enough to know, like, know really well some of them but like some corporations like where you can't put a whole bunch of water and then one of your goals is like, oh, have more, oh, like, yeah. <laughs> more like water sections than your opponent or whatever kind of thing. Like you're just kind of screwed. And one of the specific instances uh, in one of the games we played, like it was having, I think, the most like forest by the edge of your board or something like that. And just how my like my planet I chose was set up. Like I had a big <laughs> the easy advantage with it. Yeah. Like, it was just straight edges, so it was pretty easy to line up a whole bunch right along it. And I didn't actually math it out, but I feel like there was actually more edge spaces available on that board too. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't supposed to be played inverted. Like there wasn't any hmm. notes for that. So, like, that's one of my big critiques in the game is just these whatever really the really good synergies, or unfortunately, like there's a kind of a lot of area for clashes and imbalances that can happen yeah I, th I think that's one of the things you have to watch for because i think for me one of the things i liked was that it was just super quick to learn because you know i think we only spent ben when we played it what five minutes maybe 10 doing the the teach and then we just dove in and started playing i thought i was doing okay in the first game but i just did awful the first game and i think i just didn't understand the scoring mechanics I, I think I was like half your score, Ben, something like that. But we played a second game, and I, I once I understood how the scoring tracks worked a little better, I wasn't surprised, and I had a much better grasp. I did just fine. Um, I actually like the asymmetric side of the game better than just the base game with the base corporations. Um, I do think it is prone to what Brian said that there's a chance that you'll get like a bad planet for your particular corporation. And I believe um, Suzanne warned us that like, it's actually in the game booklet that there are some situations where you just gonna have to swap planets or swap corpse because they mm. just don't go together. Like if you're the water, if you're the water corp and you're around the bat, the black hole, good luck. Cause there's not a lot of water there. I really liked the asymmetric nature of the game when I when we played it with the alternate corporations. Because like Ben said, we played it twice in one night, and it was super easy to just throw it all back in and then just fire up with different corporations and go. And we got two solid plays in, and I still think we were out of there just whatever, like three hours or something like that. So Yeah, something like that. So let's go ahead and dive into our overall impressions. So for each game we review, we score on a scale of 1 to 210, the same as Board Game Geek does. Think about a 1 being an absolutely dreadful game, and it should be sent straight into the nearest black hole. 10 
being the most amazing game where your planet is a thriving, lush symbiosis planet of life forms and technology merged together, living in harmony and in total happiness. So let's dive into those rankings. Justin, where did you put this game? Planet Unknown is a seven for me uh, after a few plays. I like it. I want to play it more. It fits uh, a niche that I like where the rule set is fairly simple, but there's still a lot of meat to the game. There's interesting decisions to make. It feels satisfying to play. I like the, the experience of playing it with the components. Um, and I like the type of gameplay. I like tiling games and that puzzle aspect of trying to fill out my board and kind of maximize, you know, my planet and my resource tracks. So for me, the seven. So for me, I thought it was a very solid seven, maybe an eight, but I think I'd have to play it more to really know where it sits. Um, it was quick to play. We got to play it twice in one night and I really felt like it was a fun game. I think the simultaneous play is what makes it really solid for me. I'm always a fan of not having people sit there and be bored for 15 minutes while everybody else goes. Um, you know, so you're never sitting there waiting too long for people to play, but you're, you you stay engaged with the people on your right and your left. This lazy Susan was just a really nice touch. I could see this game being something that people pull out regularly and i would have to play it a few more times though to really see if it would get that higher ranking i'm a little concerned about some of the corp balances and there could definitely be scenarios like brian outlined that i'm worried about where you got a goal that just doesn't match with your corp and you just know you're giving up five points but overall very solid game jumping to me i think i'm definitely a little more apprehensive than you guys are like, I think a lot of, like, the appeal of it currently, like, I'm kind of excited and into it, and I would want to play it again. I feel it's kind of, like, superficial appeal. Like, I really like the puzzle, and the components were really fun, and it's, like, a really cool-looking game. But I'm really hung up on, like, the balance issue I see in it. And, yeah, you can kind of watch it and subvert it, but I don't like that it's not, like, intrinsic to the system. Like, it's down to kind of player opinion on what you think is a clash or an advantage between the corporations and goals and planets and everything. And there's just nothing to like stop somebody from having a good advantage or just being unlucky and not realizing you have a bad combo and then playing through it. Like, I guess it can get off on being quick enough and of a game that you're not like sucking through it for hours or something like that. But, and it gives you some of the re replayability about it, having being able to change it up so much every time, but I just wonder if it'll kind of hold up in a longevity for that. So I maybe a six, maybe leaning more towards a five or something for me. I'm not quite sure about it. Well, I'm going to give it a seven. I enjoyed this game quite a bit, particularly with a few more players than just two. I think it's the game's sweet spots, probably somewhere around uh, three to five players. Um, Although it really doesn't fall off at six, I think it, it, I think that's just a, where it's going to be a sweet spot for time and being able to get easily get that second game in, in in an evening is somewhere in those player counts. It's not the deepest game we own as far as complexity or strategy or anything like that, but where it 
doesn't have those things, it shines with its ease to teach, how it plays quickly, and that there is plenty of game there to explore. Where I really feel like this game stands out, it's going to be where it's ultimate ease to the ta- to get it to the table. Like, there's very few games that uh, I have in my collection that kind of fit this easy to teach, are easily accessible by gamers and not gamers, and are able to play in sub an hour, hour and 15 minutes maybe at at larger player counts. So uh, it's something I can see getting out at a family gathering. It's something I can see getting out uh, with other gamers uh, like I did already. Um, And it it fits a lot of those niches. So it's going to be easy to get get back to the table, which is something I appreciate in a game that I own and have in my collection. Well, I think to, to that point, Ben... This is a great game to keep around if if you host game days with people. This is a great game to keep around because every once in a while when you're hosting game days, you know, somebody plays a quick game and this is another one that you could just pull out and you're like, "Oh, they're going to be playing for another couple hours. Let's just play around to this." And you know, you could easily pull this out, get it out, play it real quick and then everybody's done around the same time and you can just kind of keep going. Yep. I totally agree. It'll be interesting to see if uh, it does have, if it has staying power. I recognize Brian's concern here, you know, but I think like these games that hit that player count are are few and far between. Something like Seven Wonders, you know, had pretty good staying power for a long time. I don't know if this is there, but it'll, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how often it comes out. It will be. We'll have to. Check in on that maybe a year or so from now. And anyways, I think that. Thank you do so it much for, for a review of Planet Unknown. Make sure you Adam leave Apple's a review game. of this show wherever we had a blast talking with Kevin about podcast. the upcoming Strong Tower game. Oh, and convention. by the way, give us a like on our Facebook and in page. our hobby corner. And we don't caught forget up to follow us on Twitter, game, Instagram, or projects. Pinterest while you're Matt's at it. Table, he's he's getting ready recently, to build make sure as well as blog at Batman Hey Brian, what's that site? But of course, don't forget we talked about. Wiscodice.com. And until next want, time, everyone, uh, peace out. See more. Make sure that you hit up Wiscodice.com to check it out. Otherwise, I think uh, this is it.